Welcome to the Millennial Soul Food Podcast, episode 20 with Satara. I'm your host, Keyonce. Enjoy. What's up, what's up, girls? We are back in the building for, oh, episode 20. I cannot believe that time is flying by. These episodes, I'm cranking them out. I have so much more content, y'all. Y'all don't even realize. Um, Before I get on to um, introducing the guests for the show, I wanted to make some announcements. You know, I got me some church announcements. Oh, happy day. (laughs) Hey. I'm dub. I need to quit. My voice is a little bit out of tune, too. But anyway, so if you're interested in making donations and if you're interested in helping sustain this temple um, that Spirit is using to create this work, you can always send donations to my Cash App, Venmo, or PayPal. Uh, my Venmo is at K-E-O-N-D-I-L-L-O-N. My PayPal is... My personal email address, K-E-O-N-D-I-L-L-O-N at gmail.com. And what else am I missing? My cash app is dollar sign E, capital E, L-D-R-A. So rewind that back if you need the information again. Uh, Also, the Patreon is officially up. Thank you to everyone who has subscribed. So, So far, I have 28 patrons um, 28 hitters in the, in the MSL squad. Yes. Yes. And you know, I just be posting a lot of stuff up in there. I'd be posting my, what's the spiritual tease with Keyonce. Everyone across tiers gets access to that. Um, I also have been posting some, um, hoodoo metaphysics content. So this content is basically for anyone who's interested in metaphysics in general. You don't really have to be someone who, um, is practicing hoodoo per se. Um, I just call it hoodoo metaphysics because it's a specific way that I approach, um, metaphysics, occult studies, um, esoteric thought. It's like my specific approach. And I got a pretty unique life experience. Um, I also like to throw a little bit of sociology in there. So um, also, let's see, for the top tiers, for $13 tiers, people get um, PDF worksheets with the Hoodoo Metaphysics um, courses that I release. Also, um, you get access to live streams for the new moon and full moon. Um, so there is a lot on there. $8 patrons, they get access to the Hoodoo Metaphysics metaphysics content and also what's the spiritual tea. Um, let's see. $3 tier, that's the lowest tier. Um, still gets a lot. Bi-weekly tarot and oracle card readings for the collective, which that's all tiers. Uh, what's the spiritual tea and also there is a 24-hour chat community so yes go go get you get it get it in you know um also in the 13 dollar tier i'm going to be including more content as far as people being able to do polling for future podcast topics there's going to be q a sessions for podcast episodes in case anyone has any questions about them i also am going to um eventually do an msf 
um, After Dark live stream. And so basically, if you follow me on Instagram, you know the MSF After Dark is where I post more kind of weirder stuff, more things that kind of are on the edge of like conspiracy theory. I also post some freaky shit up in there. You know, I post a lot about the tantric sex. <laughs> El sexo tantrico. Tantrico. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I mean, we be getting a little bit freaky up in there, but um, those, have, those posts have been doing really well. And I think that there are some very pertinent and interesting topics, period. So, um, yes, please look into that Patreon. Um, I'm about to be posting a lot more content in there. Um, I have down, down, um, I guess I've, I've lowered my slots as far as doing readings because I was doing just a ton of readings and I've, um, I need to take a little rest. Um, I've been channeling a lot of people's spirits and I need to do a, a whole seven days of cleansing because it's a lot. I've been having a lot of, um, death in my readings. Like, just this is a this is a season of death like i don't ugh it's heavy but you know that is what it is it is what it is you know what i mean that's the that's the nature of this work it's going to be heavy so period you know being a spiritualist you got to be ready to handle the weight sometimes of the world of sometimes of many different types of worlds so anyway okay um on that note speaking of passing and transitioning i want to um, take a moment of silence for um, Chadwick Bozeman, um, who passed away from colon cancer. So I just want to take uh, about seven seconds pause for him. All right. So, yeah, um, that that kind of hit me very hard because he was like 43 years old. You know, it's uh, just been a lot of death this summer, Lord Jesus. So I took a little bit of time to just kind of stay off the gram, you know, um, because I just needed my own time to process everything. And so, um, yeah, what Wakanda for fucking ever, period. That film. I, I might just do a whole dedication episode to it just um, because it, it it changed the culture and it definitely put us where we are today um, in terms of the growth and interest in um, more non-Western, African-based types of spirituality. It really helped. Um, I feel like it helped kind of like create more of a network between the black diaspora and all that kind of stuff. Of course, we do have the critiques of course you already know about um the movie and all that kind of stuff and capitalism all that kind of stuff but i just did want to take a little bit of time to recognize that um so yes i think that's it as far as the search announcements so at this point i'm going to read out a little bit of information about satara uh this interview was so fun y'all <laughs> Satara is a fool. Oh my god. Okay. So Satara is such a badass. She's a conjure womanist, revolutionary, black creative, medium, writer, playlist maker, root worker, music creator, candle lighter, overall boss in general. Um, check out her song Oops O O P S exclamation mark. 
um check that out on spotify um and that's satara s-a-t-a-r-r-a and so yeah satara has so many resources on her website also if you're looking for any kinds of she has a really cool ancestor prayer on there um satara just puts a lot of knowledge out there um and it's very it's in a fun way anyway y'all y'all just listen to the interview it's it's really funny um enjoy (laughs) welcome to the show satara (laughs) hello i'm so excited to have you on here you give me so much life on instagram oh thank you And um, I really just be on there having fun, which is, you know, like social media for me is such a place of like, of course, education, but also joy. So whenever you're like, I'm doing it, I'm like, good, because it's really got to be light, you know? Yeah, you I'm are such a Gemini. I would say that is really your like persona because you come through with all these like oh. heady ass ideas and then you're like, hey, what's up? I'm on the beach. Look at my ass. I look good, girl. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. You like put these Twitter Twitter memes up and I'm talking about duality and needing to respect marginalized people. I'm like, oh my gosh, you make me cry. And then the next thing, I, I'm looking at your Instagram right now and then the next thing is the WAP like with your face on Cardi. I'm like, this is everything I fucking need right now. Um <laughs> I'm so happy because thank you so much for that affirmation because I'm telling you, I'm telling you like, when I was, when it was made clear to me that I needed to be like my full self for work, you know, because then I think that's such an important conversation. We can get into that later, but like as a black woman, like I'm used to being like, what part of myself am I presenting? Mm-hmm. Today? Let's I'm get into it now. Gemini, you know, mm-hmm. but like what part of myself? And so when it was made clear to me that it was like, there's no parts, honey, they want all parts. It was like that radical self acceptance of like, you mean to tell me people really want all parts? Like, there's going to be people who want parts? Like, all parts? Mm-hmm. And they were like, yeah. And so whenever I hear it, you're like, I'm loving it. I'm loving all parts. I'm like, good, because that is liberating for me to just keep being and breathing as I am and not be overthinking. Yeah, and I think it's also important for people to see parts of themselves reflected that they might not be comfortable with seeing or they might be like you know not really have like I guess the courage at the moment to show and so you're you know you're embodying that that confidence and stuff and you're also super cute so that like helps too but (laughs) thank you so much I appreciate that you're so like trill LA trap um Ocean goddess. I don't know. <laughs> that's them that's them water spirits, you see. That's all them ancestors and them water spirits that be on that trill, that trill, uh, glamour. You know, Trill Conjure was the first name of my business. Really? Before I, this, this, before I decided to put everything out of my name, if you look at my logo very closely or you order a bottle, the bottle still say Trill Conjure. Oh my god, it does. Yeah. That is so you. And then what does the nine and the four represent? That Was that the year you were born? I was born, born in 94. Yes. <gasps> we are Satara established in 1994. I love it. I saw that meme. I saw that. Did you see that meme where it was the scar on the knee? And it was like <laughs> this is the pre-96 
marker. Did you yes. <laughs> I have that scar on my knee, so we are a 94 creation. Wow, I love it. When OJ was on the run, I came into the world. That's what my mom was watching, OJ. You trying to get messy mm-hmm. already. Um, we got to get at least through halfway through the show we, before we talk about the pop culture. I'm kidding. <laughs> you got me. Anytime I hear OJ, I'm thinking about Kardashians. I feel like Chris was doing some candle magic to get his ass, um, to get him pardoned. Oh, of course. Of course. The amount of sorcery involved in all of that. And I don't care what nobody say. I'm not going to spill nobody's business because I really do feel like if black spiritualists said all the things that we see, we would, the whole world would shut down. Um, and I live in LA, so I'm not about to say nothing that's going to keep me away from the bag. Because see, the way I work, I like coin. <laughs> right. And I do feel like LA, especially, here. it's like, like New York is very Matrix, but LA is like the Matrix, but it's like with a facade of nature. Like, you do have the ocean, and the Pacific is very, I think, like, I love L.A. as far as, like, the energy and stuff, like, the nature and stuff, but at the same time, it's, like, it's still kind of the Matrix. So, like, also, there's a lot of people who are doing, you know, the Hollywood people who look, quote-unquote, normal, but then they out here doing all kinds of ritual and stuff, but it's just kind of under another name, you know? Well, for sure, and I just, it's you know, what you were saying is, like, the vibe that I portray on social media, like, I think one of the things that's so important is that people have a perception of what spiritual people look like, and it's because someone has resold them bohemian and spirituality, and I'm like, you know, so they think that the bohemian aesthetic is what equals someone being spiritual, and I'm like, I know people who will crack you down <laughs> in Dolce & Gabbana. You see what I'm saying? I know bitches that will crack you down, burning dip teak candles in their house. And so we can't think that you got to live in the woods in a hut to be about that work. Mm-hmm. And some of these people are getting scammed by people who have taken the bohemian or pro-black aesthetic and don't got a lick of sense and no juju worth nothing. <laughs> but because they got a copper-wrapped crystal on their chest, you're going to talk to them. And that's crazy to me. <laughs> like... You gotta watch That's out. Crazy to me. Speaking of Juju, let's talk about a little bit about your history, because I know that you come from a family of um, Conjure people. Um, so, like, where are you from? I know you're not from LA. No, I'm not. Um, I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. Cleveland, Ohio. Wait, what'd you say? Sorry, we might have cut out. Oh, yeah, keep going. No. Uh, I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. My family. Um, is like a whole lot of black folks from the Midwest after the Great Migration. And so after my grandparents, really with my grandparents' generation, but after my grandparents' generation and my great-grandparents' generation, you see a lot of folks who moved from the South, Georgia, Arkansas, Louisiana, Texas, um, Alabama, Mississippi, up to, oh, in the Virginia, Carolinas, we got some folks out there. But lots and lots of folks who came from the South to the Midwest. Um, and then in true black folks fashion, in the 90s and early 2000s, there was that reverse migration from the Midwest back to the South, namely Atlanta, and my mom and I were a part of that. Oh, so okay. I moved to Atlanta when I was five, and Atlanta feels a lot like my home, like my um, 
the closest I could say because I traveled a lot as a kid, but that's my home. But my family home, like if I want to see my grandma, my grandpa, I'm going to Cleveland. Mm-hmm. That's so awesome. So what was your life like in Atlanta? Because I know you, you're also a musician. So were you in the scene there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, my mom was a hairstylist and a makeup artist. And my cousin, um, who's like my second cousin, she's technically my mom's first cousin, so these are all people who are older than me, um, were working really heavily in the art scene in Atlanta. So um, that Neil Soul vibe with like India Ari, Anthony David, like, um, but that was the scene that I grew up like backstage at shows or like India was a really influential part of my early upbringing as an artist. Um, so being on set was normal for me being, um, you know, backstage and so playing at Apache, which RIP Apache cafe that used to be yin yang mm-hmm. in Atlanta. Um, my uncle Leon was the DJ there for so long, and so I used to like be backstage, <laughs> like uh, behind the DJ booth and venues underage. And so I grew up in the music industry for sure, um, and in the arts and in in the black artistic beauty, fashion, creative industries. With a young single mother, so I went everywhere she went. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's my upbringing. That was my life in Atlanta. And my mom being heavily spiritual was always kind of central to that for me. Um, But it really was her and I um, kind of on adventures for the first part of my life. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. So, like, um, so I'm from Mississippi and, like, from near, like, the Delta. And so, like, you know, like, blues music Mm -hmm. always had, like, a lot of hoodoo. Basically, you could read a song and it's, like, a spell that you just put a candle, put a candle that. up. <laughs> you just read the song just, and like put a candle, get a glass of water is there. Um, what is your relationship <laughs> with, <laughs> what's your relationship with like um, music? Cause I know you're like, uh, you actually like create songs and stuff and you're a conjure woman. So like, what is, what's been your experiences with music as far as inspiring your, um, your metaphysical work? I am always playing music when I'm working and when I'm not working. And the reality of this is if you're doing hoodoo correctly, in my estimation, you're almost always working, even if it's not conscious work. Mm-hmm. That's one thing, because you're always actively creating your life. And so a huge part of me actively creating my life, my whole life, has been listening to music. Um, and I recently did a post on my Patreon. Shout out to my Patreon. Hey! Uh, we'll talk about that later. What's the username? But I recently did it. What did you say? What's the username for your Patreon? I am Satara. Okay, cool. Um, I recently did a post where um, I took Diana Washington songs. Uh huh. It was blues and soul ballads and created ritual around, <gasps> I want to say 13 songs. It was a 23 song record. Oh my God. Um, but I just channeled 13 ritual works because that's easy for me. That's how I work. So mm-hmm. um, there's a song called Red Sails in the Sunset. Um, and it literally says, Red Sails in the Sunset, way, way out on the sea. Oh, carry my loved one. Bring him safely home to me. Oh, he sailed at the dawning. Right, exactly. That's an un- un- encanto. Right? So, ab- 
Absolutely. So you know those songs where you say you really could put a piece, a candle, and, and a glass of water out, and you would get what you needed if you knew what you was doing? Um, I learned who to, aside from what I was learning with my family and what I channeled mediumistically and what I received, I received so much through our music. Our dead speak through our music. You can mm. speak to Muddy Waters through those records. They left us so much. And those mm-hmm. records. It's a crucial part of the way I work. And it's a huge part of my research. People would think, and don't get me wrong, yes, I'm reading text. Yes, I'm dividing. Yes, I'm, you know, consulting with other workers. Yes, I'm calling my elders. All of the practical, what a, the work of a worker looks like on a regular. But for me, in my context, I listen to records. I listen to endless blues records. Oh, because wow. there are secrets in those records. There's rhythms in those records. There's how many, there are spells on those records. Mm-hmm. Right? Muddy Water's talking about something I got my mojo working, but it just won't work on you. Mm-hmm. Like, there's there's info in those records, and that is the history of black music. <laughs> that is what the blues is. The spirituals are code. It's a language. Hmm. And I think that's really cool. If you speak the blues, you know, you got it. Yes. I think that's really cool, because I do find, like, I think a lot of people are worried about the, like, um, the perfection of, like, you know, how do I do this thing? Like, I don't want to light the candle on the wrong side or else, I'm, you know, my answers are going to try to kill me. But it's kind of like, you know, it's right. like, it's, you don't have to, it's kind of like, everyone has their own way of doing, like, even, like, a new moon ritual. So, um, yeah, I think that's really beautiful. Um... But yes, the spells are definitely in the music. I think it's also really interesting because there have been um, a lot of people, uh, a lot of musicians across genres who have said that they've gotten songs, you know, through um, through basically mediumship, and then they like play the music and it becomes a huge hit. Um, so, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah so I think that's, that's I very interesting. It, I write my own stuff too, but sometimes dead people got a song and you just try to catch it. That's also really interesting, like, all these ancestors, like, going around, and then they're like, oh, you're writing, let me, like, infuse myself into you. That's kind of like an ancient oh, Greek, Greek sure. thing. I think that's like, uh, I forgot which, not to get all nerdy, but I forgot which ancient what? philosopher, um, <clears throat> like, saw inspiration as, like, a spirit that traveled around, and, I like, you had Socrates, to... I Socrates, or whichever one, it's the Greeks. There yeah, were a lot of Greek philosophers. Other oh. people have said this as well, but in Western philosophy, they talk about the muses as a deity outside. And mm-hmm. whenever I look at Greek folks talk about the, the muses as a deity, I'm like, what an interesting concept of mediumship in the arts. Like, why, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I look at a lot of ancient cultures that talk about inspiration, talk about, and what it really looks like is just like watered down versions of African concepts that have always existed, at least in my understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, when people say why hoodoo or why Bantu traditions or why, uh, the traditions in which I work, I go, because I found everything that I was looking for there, you know, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I, it gives me all my answers. Yeah. And I and think it's like, with like, complete. with like Greek and Roman mythology, that's kind of like just white people. And like, also, I mean, that is very pagan, but I think the fact that it's white people, people don't really see it as being like pagan because it's like they were praying to like multiple like angelic spirits so 
Yeah. And they were going to see oracles. That made the most sense. I mean, some of the other stuff about that was crazy. Now, some of the other rules and philosophies and all that was wild. But uh, that makes plenty of sense to me. This concept of like we have um, spiritual entities. Everyone has their deities. You know, even under monotheism, you have your deities. I would argue that a lot of monotheistic traditions worship money. You know, like mm-hmm. Protestantism. Worship, worship the concept of autonomy. You know, individualism as a deity mm-hmm. that is to be worshipped. And I, that's like kind of um, I did sociology in grad school, so that's the reason I'd be talking about this kind of stuff. But um, there's this like sociologist who wrote about it's like the Protestant ethic, and it's like whenever it went from like in Catholicism, like you ask for forgiveness and all this kind of stuff, but in Protestantism, it became like the amount of money you have in, on earth represented the amount of riches that you had like in heaven. So that's where I think that's also kind of where you get like the TD Jake type of shit, you know, or like the Creflo dollar where it's yeah. like, we need to give you all of this money, but it's like, they are actually contributing to like a form of idolatry that like, you know, has justified rape and silencing of hella people. Damn, I'm getting pissed off. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, so <laughs> Right. It is true. For that's real. a curse. That's that's real. <laughs> yes. I also grew. I know, you didn't grow up in the church, did you? I think I heard you say that on um Gigi. I wanted to kind of talk about that a little bit. Um, because you know, yes and I, no. I grew up in the church musically and culturally. Oh, okay. Um, I grew up with cultural Christians, but practicing hoodoos. Um, and so, but my mother and my relationship with my mother, so I grew up with a single mother. Mm-hmm. So my family in Ohio and my, my father's very Christian. My father and I have a relationship and we talk all the time. And so when I would spend time with my father, my father is Christian. Oh, He's okay. also very, very, very hoodoo and very rooted. But the way that he practices, the way that his lineage practices hoodoo in particular is within the Christian framework. So when you talk about old school Christian workers, my grandmother, my great grandmother, um, particularly the women in his lineage, and my gra- and my father was a man that was raised by the women in his lineage. Um, mm-hmm. The women in his lineage were the type of workers who like it's like the blue candle behind the door and songs. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? The olive oil is prayed over over the door. It is the money affirmation with the confirming scriptures. So you know when you see the hoodoo. Um, that people are talking about using the Bible. Bible hoodoo is my father's lineage. Oh, my that's not, that's mine too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Christian conjure in that way, and I think people really make the mistake of it being thinking that it means that we're Christian because you grew up around that. So my father's faith that was church. So I've had enough church. Does that make sense? Oh, okay, not that as makes much sense. As some folks, but I've had church. But it was my mother, which is the majority of the years of my life. No, my mother was Buddhist. And, you know, my mother was Buddhist, and my mom was Catholic in her upbringing, so some of those more Catholic ritual work mm-hmm. came to be. But my mom explored religion a lot. My mother was married to a Muslim man who's a sheikh. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So makes sorcery sense. and hoodoo always being at the core of those practices, though. Because when you ask my mother why she was a Buddhist, she said, because... It was so interesting. She said, because they had an altar like the ones I was used to growing up. And because they told her that when you chant Daimoku, you can break ancestral curses um, seven years ahead and seven years behind. Wow. So my mom became a Buddhist to break generational curses, not because she necessarily thought that was the framework for her. 
I love it. Which when she told me that, I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. <laughs> like, Damn. I actually went through like, a stint yeah. of studying Buddhism for like a, a minute for like, I guess it was like a year or two in college. And it actually, it really influenced my like, um, like, I guess you could say like shamanic work. Um, yeah, for sure. It's and so yeah, being queer, so being practical. queer in Mississippi, it helped me kind of. I don't know, just hearing that, like, you know, everything was nothing, I was like, wow, fuck. So, <laughs> all these yeah, fuck niggas sure, don't right? give like, me shit. Anyway, I'm going to censor that out. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, that is so deep, though. I have found that, like, because um, New Orleans, where I'm living now, like, my father's family is from here and, um, like, around this area. And then my mother's side is from, like, um, like more Protestant area. And I've noticed, like... Protestant hoodoo is like you know Jesus and the Bible, um, but it's it's like a lot of scriptures. Whereas with the Catholics, it's like you know Saint Expedite, Expedite, or like it's mm-hmm. like praying through a particular saint, which has I guess more I guess like more roots in like um, the Yoruba and like Vodou and stuff like that. But um, I mean, but it's the similar stuff, you know. So, but that is kind of one. Th- I think I, that's kind of one thing I've noticed is. Um, like my grandmother, she, she was deaf more like, uh, she was kind of very intuitive, but she read the Bible, but she would be like, yeah, I was reading the Bible. And then this vision came to me. So she would like mm-hmm. use that as like scrying. But, um, yeah, so I totally get what you mean. Um, that's really cool though. Um, the church was one of the only places that black mediums in a lot of ways were fake. You see what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. that's the other thing. People talk about Christianity, and it's like, no, it was the only place where you could be a prophetess or a sorcerer or use your gift and not be severely prosecuted, especially as a woman. Prophesying. And so people be, yeah, prophesying. There ain't nothing but being psychic. That ain't nothing but being clairvoyant. <laughs> you know you, what I'm saying? Oh, my God. You're totally reminding me of shit, like... Because in the church, there was a part when, like, sometimes somebody came up and they're like, all right, somebody has a prophecy. And they just, like, talk about all this yeah, shit that's supposed that's to... Black <laughs> <shit>. <laughs> and you're like, what this girl's all about? <laughs> right, that's the blackest shit. It's this person had a psychic vision, and as long as it came from the Lord, it's okay. We won't say it came from the Lord, but it's okay. And everybody receives them. And if you notice, and I forgot who it was on Twitter, so if you listen to this, I wish that I could credit you properly. Um, but they were making a status, and it was it was a question. And I, I want—I don't know if you need to credit people for questions, but I thought it was an insightful one. That said, asking how the folks who were hoodoos grew up, and whether they grew up Protestant or who grew up Christian, whether they grew up Protestant or Baptist or Catholic or whatever. And when your pastor spoke, did he speak more about Jesus himself, or did he speak about more about the Holy Spirit? Hmm. And you can see, it, or equal, right? Because some people's churches there's the theology of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And as a Hulu, what I know is Jesus and Moses and all these people are the original conjurement. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, Jesus is the world's greatest conjure ever. Are you kidding me? So ain't no beef with me and Jesus. Now, do I Period. think that man is my Lord and Savior? No. But Jesus can be worked like a whole lot of other spirits. Nobody wants to talk about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> When you work safe, like, if you can pray to Jesus and Jesus may or may not answer you. I would just argue that uh, I don't trust no religion that tells me that that he like he's a dead person. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's I'm a convert. You see what I'm saying? He's a dead person. Mm-hmm. I work with dead people. Hmm. 
Exactly. He's an excellent dead person. You see what I'm saying? He may have been more than one person. From what I've gathered, it's so many Jesuses. It's so many Jesuses. That's why Jesus is an entity. Like they say, how is he a man and also a concept? Like, you see that in a lot of places. And so, I don't know. People be really hung up on Jesus. And I'm like... Right. I have I have a cross tattooed on me, actually, but it's more the esoteric part because the cross represents the meeting of the material and immaterial world and all that other shit. But um, yeah, that is so interesting. It's been an ancient African symbol long before it was Christian. Period. You know, a lot of folks have crosses on their bodies that they got when they were Christian or whatever the case may be. You know, I actually just thought about a cross tattoo the other day, and I was like, I bet you people are going to think about this. <laughs> yeah, I love like my that. cross tattoo yeah. shit. There was one time I was, um, I came to New Orleans. It was like, um, I think this was like six years ago, and I literally saw a cross like, Every it was just you know how it's like when you see four 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 and the numbers that was like the th- it was easier. like it's the easiest way to put a detainer in your home. That's what I'm saying. When people be really caught up on imagery and looking like they're doing something and not actually whether it's done. If you want to put a big detainer over your door in your house and you don't want nobody to notice, you can put a crucifix and you can do whatever you want with that crucifix. It's not that deep, you know. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and so people. Are, like, it's not that deep. Like, I'm sorry. Our ancestors did what they needed to do. And so many people get caught up on the imagery of looking like you're doing what you need to do. It goes back where I was saying everybody talks about L.A., the idea of someone who looks bohemian or looks spiritual. Mm-hmm. Who is really not a practice about looking or proving we are closed. Hmm. It ain't about hiding, but it's certainly not about performing. It's not a performing tradition. So you can come in my house now, and there's a ritual. There's juju almost every corner. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But it may not look like there's juju every corner. Because my work wasn't in, I didn't grow up, and it must look like it's magic, or it must look. Now, when you go in my altar room, and there's work burning, then you get your candles, and you get your, you know, you get that. <laughs> I do that, all this, all this stuff. But... I'm like, people sometimes get disappointed when I'm like, your grandmama wants you to put a cross in that house. Yeah, exactly. And they go, what? And I'm like, it's not about, it's so much deeper than what you see in that cross. Mm-hmm. And don't nobody got to explain to you the whole esoteric reason. We're closed. <laughs> Just hmm. put the cross on your door. That kind of reminds and me. And ask the dead people. Yeah, that kind of reminds me like of this previous episode I did. Like one of my um one of my best friends here is Cajun and like Cajuns like practice like um I don't I mean I it's hoodoo, but it's like it's based that but they base theirs more on like the saints. So but it's the same mm-hmm. like tools, you know? So it's like it's kind of that's kind of like what you're talking about. It's like you just have to kind of understand that you're like using tools to channel and move energy then like um it doesn't really matter what the substance of it is yeah exactly what the tools are you got to be resourceful you got to be you know mm-hmm. and and the other part about it is then people get caught up they get so much caught up in looking like what they saw on the internet or what somebody else did or what they thought and i'm all everybody's your hoodoo lineages are coming from your family they're coming from your ancestry they're coming from your lineage like if you're african-american i promise you you got a hoodoo in your family ain't no way around it 
more than one, you know? Mm-hmm. And then those are coming from regional practices. Those are coming from community practices and regional practices and historical practices. And those are coming from slave migrations and transits, and those are coming from Africa. <laughs> so, like, we're not, all, which is huge, which is a continent with a ton of diversity. Hmm. And so, people act like everybody's hoodoo has got to be the same. And that's wild to me. Now, on the flip end, people get a little too creative and start calling things hoodoo that ain't hoodoo. I'm not with that neither. So, don't misread me. However, I think people really limit themselves because they don't trust what they hear. Yeah, and I feel like, honestly, I feel like black people trusting what we hear more is kind of one of the best ways to, like, decolonize hoodoo, because it's, like, something, like, you can't, you can't really put a recipe up for, like, you know, channeling ancestral messages. (laughs) So, I mean, it's, like, because, you know, it's a lot of people out here that's stealing stuff. I mean, I'm talking specifically about French Quarter stuff here in New Orleans. Well, before COVID. Mm-hmm. But um, that's something I think is important for especially um, black people, which is kind of why I'm a proponent of us um, doing more psychedelics. Because um, it's mm-hmm. like, <laughs> it's a way to like deprogram and get into your own juju, you know? Yep, Exactly. Yes, I also I wanted to talk about this post also that you made about the duality. I loved it. I love that you're like, um, how do you identify as far as like sexuality, gender, all that kind of stuff? I am a cis woman. I am bisexual. Yes, that may be pansexual, but I speak from my experience. You know what I mean? I'm one of those people. First of all, I'm not a labeled girl. You know, and I and I also understand as a straight passing person, part of the reason that I am openly bisexual has to do with being in community with folks. Oh my god! I I, I mean I I mean way? I don't I'm not sitting here like you know stereotyping, but that as a like queer person, you know, I was I didn't know that, but that makes me feel like really good. I love it. I but I do really well, yeah, like because I'm straight passing to people yeah. which is dumb to what the straight look like. You know what I mean? What the straight look like? Yeah, exactly. That's the thing that I always, but I was aware that because of whatever people's perceptions are, and some of that is from what people know about me. Um, people who have met me recently because I was in a long, long relationship with a man. <laughs> but even in that relationship, I was open with people um, who deserve that information, including my partner. That I have always dated whoever I please. Mm-hmm. I do really you know, like that. Whoever I want. <laughs> Period. And I think I love that you're a black woman and you're saying that and stuff like that. Well, you know, period. I stand for black women. MSF, we stand for black women. Period. Over here, don't give a fuck. But you also have a lot of rhetoric about like black trans people too, which I think is like really cool. Um, and like you made this post about like, um, well, I guess. I, whenever I see posts, I'm, like, thinking about, like, black people. But it's, like, we have to get used to um, the duality in us. And sometimes, like, it's something that we won't really ever overcome. But that's the, like, that's the charge of living in this reality, you know? Yeah, no, that was what that post was about. And it's interesting because while it was natural, and it was actually spirit that told me that I needed to make that correlation publicly between... Um, folks who are living outside of what we consider to be um, a normative gender binary, which is so funny because gender in a binary for me is not normative um, 
in, in the way we perceive ourselves. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Like, there's a biological gender that exists, what happens in your body, right? That also varies. Like, when you look at people, there's a standard, right? Mm-hmm. That we see most often, and then there are variations of that. Intersex people? Even within something, would you say? Intersex people? Exactly. That, like, even as we look at what we have been taught, we see that there has always been variation, right? Um, and people are more comfortable with a binary around gender. But before we get into the gender conversation, um, although a lot of our traditions in hoodoo are based around understanding gender, and I find a lot of folks who want to learn hoodoo um, and who are standing outside of the traditional gender binary have a hard time conceiving of the fact that when we work, we work with the masculine and the feminine, right? And in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we even get there, that's really what I was talking about, spiritual principle and how all of us who are human beings, all of us who are living and existing, um, contain a masculine and a feminine principle. Even with the plant itself, it has masculine and feminine parts. Without the masculine and feminine parts, it's not the whole plant. And in one plant, you may find masculine and feminine parts. And they serve a purpose. And they're necessary. Hmm. And so I think that really all of our languaging around gender and all of our languaging around it is so steeped in patriarchy that I certainly don't have all the words. But what I was trying to express in that post is that we are always not only a duality, but a multiplicity. Mm-hmm. When you are getting to know your ancestors, and that's why I really have a hard time when people come to me and they go, please tell me who's walking with me. Because as a medium, it's not that I cannot identify who's speaking. So I will tell you who's speaking. But just look mathematically. You have two parents of two parents. That's already four grandparents. So then that's eight and then 16 and then 32 and so on and so forth. For generations. You have so many ancestors. <laughs> I'm not going to sit and roll call them all. And all of those ancestral contributions, every chromosome, every piece of DNA that exists in you, you are literally a multiplicity. You are literally made. All that you are is the people that have come before you. You are also every planet in the universe. You are every star in the sky. Like You are a complete reflection of everything around me. That is how we work. There is nothing that I need to move in the world that does not exist inside of me. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? There's nothing that I need that I don't already have. So I must find a way to find that frequency in myself, align that frequency, do whatever ritual work, work with whatever connecting energy or deity, get myself in order so that I can align with that, so that I can manifest that thing in the present, so that I can bring it to me. I must stay in alignment with that thing and that principle. And you have all of the things around you in the universe, um, in your connection with your dead, in the plants, in the trees, in the stars, in nature, in your in your body, um, in your personal concerns, to mobilize what it is that you need. And so to think of yourself so strictly in a binary or in a as one thing is the opposite of learning how to do hoodoo. And that was my point. Because my personal politics and the politics that are important to me come out on my page. Because mm-hmm. that's who I am. But I think once you understand that, the existence of trans folks should not confuse you. 
You see what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I know. It should not confuse you. Now, the politics around it and the way that y'all want to deal with the politics, uh, I would say just don't be an asshole, but not everybody is empathetic. I wish more people were, you know? Mm-hmm. But That's I don't horrible. understand people. I get very concerned when people can't understand viewing yourself outside of a socialized gender. Especially when they're spiritual people. You know what you say? Yeah, especially, especially spiritual it's people. It's like, what the that hell? Is, and the spiritual people, that confuses me a lot. I get not having that personal experience. Like, I know, you know what I mean? I'm a cis woman. So my experience is shaped around cis womanhood, and that's that. However, to not be able to conceive that there are other options is wild. Mm-hmm. Yes, I love it. Well, that, I mean, yeah, and I definitely... Um, consider queer people we're like the gatekeepers and shit so um out here trying to keep everybody together um but yeah i would say as someone who has historically been very oppressed by being like i guess like femme identified i guess like i i don't really like you know like i don't really like wear dresses or anything like that because i guess my like conception of gender is like I, I like to be comfortable, so you're going to catch me in gym shorts, you know, but I'm serving queen energy, <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, I was like, I love when people think thin, they always think makeup and hair and things, and like, don't get me wrong, sure, but like, come on. And I'm okay with like, you know, I'm okay with my like anatomical parts and stuff like that, like, that's also mm-hmm. something I think people need to get, like, there's trans people, there's gender non-conforming people who are like, okay with like their biology their, the body yeah their biology yeah but they don't agree with you know yeah i yeah. do um i have always had i guess like a very interesting um i guess relationship with sexuality i think it's like i don't know maybe it's the yimaya energy i don't know but like i have like people haven't really like messed with me necessarily i've been like through stuff but, um, like, as far, I grew up around, like, a ton of, like, black country people and, like, white country people. And, like, a lot of times the straight dudes were, like, they were, like, nice to me. But it was, like, I think it was my gender kind of, like, threw people off. Because it's, like, like, people want, like, men wanted to be friends with me. But it's, like, there's also kind of the attraction sometimes. Which is okay, you know? I think people need to get, be okay with the fact that you might, you know. That's the other thing with the fact that your friends might be attracted to you. Yeah, who cares? Like, whatever. That's a weird, like, Christianized oppression thing as well. Like, that you can't have friends who are attracted to you and and, and have consent around that or not. You know? Yeah, it's not like you have to just jump on them. It's like, you know, I think that's another thing people get confused about. It's like, just because you... Because I have a lot of cute gay friends, but I'm not really going to hop on them. I mean... Even like you know, if I would, I'm not. I'm not gonna just you know, cause it, that's it's a friendship, and we need to be. I know that we're meant to be friends, you know. So they associate queerness with promiscuity and aggression. I think that that's you know, and especially if you're in a black body, you're already hypersexualized. So there's that. Mm-hmm. Damn. Well, that was a good convo. Wow, we got into some all the theory. We did. Yeah. Well, well, since, well yeah, because like. Well, keep going. I was just going to say that, like, as a black woman, part of the reason I 
um, didn't really be like, oh, I'm bisexual, oh, I'm bisexual, is because, first of all, I grew up in Atlanta, which, like, um, I don't know, but, like, people always been black and gay. We're not aside <laughs> from our issues around that, but to be black and queer was normative for me mm. growing up. And some of it is the privilege of having been, stri- been straight passing. The only person who ever actually questioned my sexuality growing up was my mother. Mm-hmm. And the way that my mother handled it was so smooth. My mother sat me down when I was maybe six, seven, and touched my hand and said, baby, I want to let you know that no matter who you love, you just said, I love you. Well, but at the time, I brushed her off. <laughs> yeah, she said, no matter who you love, no matter who you choose to be with, I love you. And at the time, I brushed her off because I didn't love nobody but myself. You know mm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, like, when I started dating in high school, and I dated largely men in high school, I had experiences with a whole lot of people, my mom was genuinely like, oh, it's a man you're dating. You know, like, it wasn't like that was the forced exception. You know, it's the forced thing. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, but part of the reason I didn't, besides that, was the association with promiscuity. Was that if I'm a bisexual woman, everybody think I'm a freak. And mm-hmm. I am, but that's not why. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> why? Yeah, you see what I'm saying? Like, like, yeah, like, that's the reality of it is, like, the association with promiscuity is heavy because I'm going to be real. This is the type of person that I am. Like, I believe that you can have as much sex with as many people as you want. I'm pro as many sexual partners as you want to have. I know the type of person that I am, though, and sex for me is at the, at the same time that it can be fun and playful and light. It's quite intimate. Mm-hmm. And so I require a certain level of intimacy that may have kept me from having 50, 11 sexual partners. But it's not because of any rule of chastity. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah. if it wasn't such a deep, for real, if it wasn't such a deep emotional thing and like, and like energetic thing and the, and the logistics of having sex weren't so difficult, I pro- you know what I mean? It's a you know, lot to have what sex. What I would be doing, it's a lot to have sex and I wish people would really like address that. It's a, it's a lot to have sex. And so, um, I manage my energy accordingly and you have to be someone that I feel really comfortable with. But I enjoy sex and talking about sex and all the wonderful things that can happen with your sex and the ways you can do it. I, I like that. So I, I like so that. Frustrated. <laughs> I like that. That's what I like. So I'd be frustrated when I would be having an open grown folk conversation with people about sex and they would assume that because I was bisexual, I was, down to have sex with everybody. Oh, God. You're like, let's do a threesome. They're like, and it's like, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't tell people I'm a bisexual woman because it's like, I don't want to be propositioned. I tell people, of course, but like, the, for a long time, the issue was that people assume that you have no morals or no self-control or no no um, standards mm-hmm. around who you like. And so, and I talk to my friends who are gay men or who are lesbian women, and it's so violent of like straight folks to look at someone who comes out as bisexual or someone who comes out as queer or someone who comes out as gay and be like, "Oh, now you want me?" Right? <laughs> when it's like, and I definitely, when I was in high school, like 
that was kind of like I guess as like you know like a queer person that's kind of like the what the energy I would try to project in all social situations is like I mean I guess that's why you know the black queen I call myself a butch queen but that's why the butch queens are just kind of like hella fierce and shit because we're just like you know you have to project like and and you don't matter who gives a fuck because it's like you have to do that otherwise because it's like you have to defend yourself because you know it's like anyway like you literally i've had like i remember i was in college and um i told one of my friends i was gay and he was like but you never tried to like hit on me and i was like bitch have you looked in the mirror like (laughs) i wasn't being mean but i was like listen girl like it's not even like he was like "You, you spent the night at my house like multiple times and i'm like first off if you couldn't tell like i don't really know that's on you girl but um yeah that that is so true (laughs) no that's so funny i've had many like interactions with that with like women that i was friends with who found out that i was bisexual and then immediately they sexualized our friendship and that was really weird it's been really weird and actually i've had to like i'm still thinking about that as part of my like distrust in my relationship with women it's like a unique bisexual woman distrust where you have a dope female friend like she's your home girl y'all kicking it and then finally when you feel comfortable to disclose that you're interested in women you'd be surprised how it becomes a problem women who are straight start acting like they're your girlfriend oh you know what i mean wow women who are straight now start to be like well why aren't you interested in me or they want more it's a competition it's like women are not comfortable being around an energy now that they know that the option of sexual attraction is there they're mad that that's not what you're giving and it's like you and it's like you need to go find yourself some wop yeah (laughs) like you don't need to be like you need to go to find yourself some shit because like don't be projecting onto me yeah because now you're over here like we're having a normal girls night and you're like well why don't you want me like what like (laughs) we we have wine and snacks (laughs) normal girl time you and me in here and so now you know that I also date women and you're going back to all the times that there was an opportunity oh, oh. for me to make a move on you <laughs> and you're mad that I did it now? <laughs> because you're like, why didn't she? And I'm like, because I don't want you. That's not that's not what we're doing. And I have the same thing with guy friends, you know, because they also have a hard time with women who can just be like, oh, yeah, I, I know what cool, man you have. You definitely with men I'm women are sure. supposed to be women are supposed to be so desperate for partnership we're supposed to be and i think desperate to be owned that's what they want desperate to be owned or desperate for love non-men especially black non-men starting with black women right are expected because somebody has said to them that we are unlovable mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we're supposed and to us and so we're supposed to conceive that we are unlovable. And then whenever somebody offers us the slightest inkling of emotional support or love or attraction, we are supposed to, in their mind oftentimes, jump at the offer. Sexual labor and a too. Lot of times we, yep, and a lot of times we do. That's the other side. A lot of times 
we do because we're not used to having anybody say this, this, and this, or, and this is my theory, and this is what black women in my life held me accountable to. We don't value our, we don't value black women even as black non-men. So we do actually have people affirm us and say, you're smart, you're beautiful, you're powerful. We do have people show up for us. We do have people show us consistent affection. But you know who those people are? Other black women and black non-men. And the currency isn't the same. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? In our mind. We are so used to being taken advantage of that we in turn take advantage of each other. Mm -hmm. And so... Black folks, trans folks, women, anyone on the margins, in my estimation, are not being taken care of by a greater society. We're taking care of each other interdependently. And in a lot of ways, especially I'm going to speak to what I know now as a cis woman, are still checking for people who aren't checking for us. Exactly. In all the movements. And building a narrative. What would you say? In all of the movements. Yeah, we exactly. We're checking for folks who aren't checking for us. We and checking all the white people for and say, everybody. Hey, and they're like, well, you right? know, if they gay or, you know, they they kind of funny. Like, what the fuck? Right, that's what I'm saying. And so everybody's checking for people who ain't checking for them. And I suggest that you check for who's checking for you. Um, well, let's see. What other questions do I have? Um... Did you hear about all that Jaguar Wright stuff come out? Yes, I did. We don't have to talk about it if you don't want to. Ooh, I'm just like, I don't even, I mean, we can talk about it, but I'm I don't know. like, this is the one. <laughs> well, okay, so I let's just go, because, you know, I do love to have my little gossip parts and stuff. No, we got to have our little key. And, yeah, you know, I, I just love the, the tea, but it also I like, I just like talking about this stuff because it's issues we need to know about. But I do think it was interesting. I thought it was very necessary for her to talk about um, women being on tour with men. And, like, she brought up the point of sleeping in the front bunk because you can see who who comes in and out. And then her describing, you know, she called them out talking about how they are Mm -hmm. running trains and stuff. And but then on stage, like, you know. Rastafari, we all together, hey, yeah. But then y'all yeah. are sitting here demeaning women, and then you know it sounded like some other stuff happened, and then um right. she did. I but I also I I don't know. She in this other interview, she was talking about how she she grew up pretty well to do and had like a scholarship to Juilliard that she turned down, but um she would like get on the train to come to go to the hood. So it sounded like a lot of like her growing up was like this quest to like embody the hood. But I guess she she wanted to be on like the pulse of the culture or something like that. But that kind of I felt like it was kind of suspect, you know. Um and then and then the way she was kind of like at some questions she'd be like, "Oh, well, you know, I'm going to save that for the interview I'm going to get paid for." Um but she did bring up a lot of interesting stuff as far as the sexual assault and, like, you know, men. And, um, but it sounded like she knew a lot of stuff. But I know you're in the music industry, so, um, I just wanted to get your take on it. I don't know. I mean, all I'm going to say is Jaguar Wright decided that she was really about to burn it down, whatever it was. You know what I mean? 
Mm-hmm. Like, whatever she felt excluded from, you know, mm-hmm. she really decided that it was worth, you know, just letting them have it. And I'm not mad about it. And in terms of the music industry, but women, what she said was very real. I mean, I don't know anything. I don't know the accusations. You know, like, I mean, I heard them, but I don't know the facts on that. But these, this is, but I can see from personal experience and speak to men in music and that, like, that thing of trying to see who's coming in, trying to see who's coming out, trying to keep, look over your shoulder, like, that's very real. And men really do take advantage of the situation. And the thing about Jaguar that I didn't love is, I loved the part where she was, she was saying that I didn't love how she was coming for Erica and for Jill and their sexual promiscuity with the men. You see what I'm saying? That was hard. But at the same time, she admitted that she was also out here sleeping with these men to get on. If you listen closely, she Mm -hmm. dropped that in some of her, you know what I mean? That's how she was in the group and didn't get messed with. She was being kind of clear about it, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. But here's my thing is I don't like women who get on here and shame other women. So, like, even in my critique of Jaguar, right, I'm confirming that I see her and that I hear her. And, I like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, like, my first stance is to believe women. Hmm. But I just think in that situation, what I see is a lot of women who were operating at a time and in a space where um, they were all trying to be around niggas that they thought was on. You know, and I've watched so many women be, especially in creative collaborations, really be the powerhouses of an institution. You know, mm-hmm. like I've watched, like in my opinion, everybody talks about Timbaland and don't get me wrong, Timbaland is great, but enough people don't talk about Missy. No, period. Wait too long to get her flowers. And then you know? Timbaland I, fucked over Tink, so he ain't worth shit night neither. Yeah, and so I'm just really looking, and I'm like, what I see with this whole Jaguar right thing, honestly, is a woman who did not get her just due, and I see a lot of other women around her who didn't get their just due. And so regardless of where they fell on that spectrum, whether they feel successful um, or whether they feel that their level of notoriety and success didn't reach where it needed to be, I think a lot of it was because they were in a space that just so heavily centered these men. Mm-hmm. Like, I honestly think Jaguar, like, it's interesting to me that the catalyst for this was Malik B. And I know that that's her boy. Mm. But when she started this, she said, uh, I'm going to do this until y'all give Malik B his just due. Uh- and then when you hear her speak, all she speaks about is how she was wronged. Mm. And it is interesting to me that. In her mind, she only, she spoke up about how she was wronged after she saw a man that she was adjacent to wronged. That mm. her being wronged was not the catalyst. Wow. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That is what I'm most interested in this, is looking at all of these black women who are brilliant and creative and innovative, who are all centering their careers in a lot of ways, their lives and their adjacency to men. But and not really looking at what the true reflection... I don't reflection. know if there's a way around that, and everybody gets their scars from that now. Every woman involved here has their scars. Everyone has their bitterness, because, you know, Jaguar has hers, I'm sure Erica has hers, Jill has hers, <clears throat> and I'm looking at a bunch of women whose lives are oriented around these men. 
mm-hmm. who were running games and doing whatever it was that niggas do. And so that's what it looks like to me. And so <clears throat> I don't say that to remove her passion around Malik or around, I, I think that that's very true. But what I'm looking at is like, sis, you were wronged. And I know that you get that. And and then, oh, this is getting deep and theological. I want us to have a framework for women being able to speak, black women in particular, being able to speak about their trauma because our trauma is valid and because our trauma is enough and also be compensated. Hmm. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Because she became very aware because at first she just got up there and was talking. And then now you see later as this has progressed, the conversation of, girl, you could get paid for this came up and or she knew it but was just so hot she had to get without her mouth out. Right? But then someone stepped in and said, you know, you could be paid for this. People will pay you for this information. They interview you. Boom, boom. And I'm happy that she's going to get paid because I want her to have the self-preservation for that. But what would a society look like where she didn't have this trauma now that she has to exchange for money? Hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And what if a world existed where her homie didn't have to die for her to feel like, now I'm going to say what it is that I need to say. Because she started talking about Malik, but all of this started pouring out of her. And I was like, sis, how long has this been eating at you? Oh, that's so true. Over 25 years, I I guess. Oh, can you imagine? I'm 26. Mm. She's been mad as long as I've been alive. Probably longer. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I want healing for her. And I, you know, I want I want her to not have to carry that around anymore. And I hate that there's a world that she ever received that, you know. Mm-hmm. And I hate that there's a world where um, whether those men were the active reason why she was on the end of so much abuse, that those men were in such close proximity to her and did not support her. And I and that's why I think it's so imperative that we build a society where black women and you know folks really are building community with each other so that, you know, I, we need more solidarity than that. When I listened to this, I was like, wow, wow. <laughs> like, Cause yeah, it, if solidarity, I, I mean, I don't, I mean, yeah, we need way more accountability because period in this kind of stuff, um, it is the, the people who are doing it. And then it's around people around them who know it's happening. And, um, that was seemed to be a common theme that she talked about. Like, because she brought up Aaliyah, and then she was like, I'm not gonna even going to say some stuff about that. So, you know, and Aaliyah was fucking married to R. Kelly at 15. I can't imagine the, the kind of stuff that Aaliyah went through and then dies that young. Like, I don't know. I feel like there's, like, a lot of... They're, like, uh, I guess they did a good job of kind of, like, like, I guess, like, restoring her... In- not restoring her image, but shaping her image afterwards but for me i see like a lot of questions around like Aaliyah's death i don't know yeah it's weird Aaliyah's death is one of the um events that let me know that i was psychic fun fact what um yeah Aaliyah's death was probably one of the earliest things that i remember having a premonition of and sharing with my family in a public space and then it coming into fruition. Like, that's one of those events that marked me as a psychic in my family because I 
um, had a dream. I love Aaliyah. Like, Aaliyah was my girl. Like, oh, boy. I, ah! I live like a hawk in the sky. And you are my friend. My friend. Right? So, like, I was all before you. If he keeps up in his, I know mm-hmm. that one, one of these days. days. Okay, let me know when we started. Because the whole background arrangement will pour out. I'm trying to get the harmonies right. Dang. I don't know nobody. I don't know Right. So, Aaliyah was yes. giving me everything in my life. And I went to sleep one night. Um, what year did Aaliyah die? Was it 90? 2001. 2001. Damn, yeah, you were young as hell. That's, yeah, well, I've been, that's what I'm saying. Because, oh um, my God, 94. Six, seven, six. Seven years old. Dang. Seven, I'm going to say six or seven. And I was a huge Aaliyah fan. She was my girl in my little seven-year-old life. <laughs> and I was a huge Queen of the Dance fan. I actually have a, a, a photo, like a print of Aaliyah and Queen of the Dance framed, hung on my wall. Wow, really? Um, because it's such a catalyzing moment for me because, first of all, it was the first time that I saw like a spooky black girl type of vibe that I just was like, yeah. So Queen yes. of the Dance is a huge style reference for me. Um, and like musically, just all of that is artistically a huge part of my life. But I had a dream that Aaliyah and I were on a plane. Nah. So we had a long conversation. Listen, we had a long conversation, and I was asking her all of the questions that I wanted to ask her about her music. And all that I remember is that she was so deeply sad. Like, there was <gasps> such a sadness around her, and I remember trying to, like, cheer her up. Like, I was so excited to be around her, but she just couldn't reciprocate that. And then the car, we crashed. And you want to know what's crazy? This was pre-9-11. Check my date. It may have been before or after 9-11. But if it was pre-9-11, this is really crazy. It was because pre-9-11 because she died, like, two weeks before 9-11. Because I was, like, 14. Okay, so... Okay, so listen, because I had a dream that Aaliyah and I were in a plane. We were having conversations. She was so heavily sad, so deeply, deeply sad. And then our plane crashed into a building and we died. (gasps) And she fell out of the plane. It was on fire. We crashed into a big building, skyscraper. And she died. And I was holding her hand as she fell out of the plane. And I was like, Aaliyah, no. And I woke up that morning and ran into my mother's room and was like, Aaliyah is dead. Aaliyah died. Aaliyah. And my mom was like, Aaliyah is not dead, girl. And lo and behold, as we got in the car, because she was taking me to school and turned on the radio, it was like singer Aaliyah has died in a plane crash. Oh! <gasps> <gasps> On that very day. And then, like you said, two weeks later, because I was like, I feel like this was pre-9-11. Um, 9-11 happened and my mom sees dead people my mom is clairvoyant i had had several experiences but the seven was one of those years for me seven was one of those years when my, my mom and my life got very serious about my spiritual shit but yeah so that was that was one of the moments that it was like oh we need to have a conversation with atari about these dreams <laughs> i remember that and like going to school knowing things about my teachers was my life. Like, it was a very strange... I remember being really shook by that. Like, I remember that year, um, 
9-11 happened and I was in school and my mom came pick me up because the CDC was there and they thought that we were going to be next or whatever. And I was like, surprised. I, was, I was chill. Everybody was so scared and I was calm and like, I asked my mom, like, go to Chick-fil-A or something. <laughs> you know, like, Damn. And but I but I already knew it was going to happen. So, you know, like, I was, I was actually still heartbroken over Aaliyah. Like, you got to realize, for me, these were all one terrible incident that I had seen happen. And, like, I have, I have been in the process of mourning things. I was mourning coronavirus before it happened. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, I will walk around with a heaviness in my spirit two months. And that's why when people say, oh, I want to be a medium or I want to be clairvoyant. And I'm like, you don't want this, baby. Because I'm actively learning that other people's shit is not my shit, right? Because <laughs> you'll see something and be like... I mean, that's why I had like told that. you I had to take a bath before this because there's been so much happening. Like, I feel like uh, in the astral these past few days, like, I haven't really... I've been sleeping, but yeah. I just, like, don't sleep sometimes. And I'm like, damn. Um, but this, you know, it's the life, so... But it is something, yeah, it I think, so yeah. going on. <laughs> but yeah, so fun fact, it was Aaliyah in 9-11 that was like, oh shit, it's hard to see it and knowing. <gasps> you know? That makes wow. it one of the first ones that they were like, oh, she be knowing. Oh my God. Well, I'm glad that we got this on um, the show because, like, this story is just so amazing. Wow. But so I do... I do, honestly, also, I feel like there was an energy of, like, death on her. You know what I mean? That's what I'm saying. Well, that's what I mean. You read like, that. I saw her in the play. In my dream, she was so heavy and sad. Like, I was crying with her. Like, uh, like, I, like when she died in the plane, I knew she was dead. You feel me? Mm-hmm. Like, when she died in the plane, like, I felt like I, like, little seven-year-old me was like, I'm tired of a bitch. I just death doomed Aaliyah. Damn. You know what I mean? Like, like, I don't know if that was my personal breathing process, but it very much felt heavy as fuck. And when I woke up, like, I was devastated. And then it was right before 9-11, so I remember specifically that our plane crashed into a building. And I remember telling my mother that and her being like, that's so weird. Like, planes, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I remember my mom being like, it crashed into a building. Like, you didn't crash. I was like, yeah, we were in, like, a city. Wow. Like, I, I was like, and we were in, New- like, I remember, like, being like, we're too, like, we were in New York City. Like, we crashed in a building. Hmm. And I remember just being terrified. And so, like, when 9-11 happened, I was calm, but also, like, deadly silent. It was a heavy day. Wow. Because I was like, not that. I remember that was one of the first times I probably remember like resenting having spiritual gifts, like being like, why? You know? What I'm mm-hmm. <laughs> like my first yell into the universe. Like I could have done without that. It's true. It's a lot. I could have gone without that. You know. A lot of responsibility. Mm-hmm. Well, um, let's make this a little lighter. What is your favorite? divination tool oh i love dice and cards but honestly i'm not a tools girl so much like i use dice and cards but my favorite is a cigar i'm gonna be real or a cigarette my favorite thing in the whole world is sitting down on a comfortable chair if don't let me have a proper mesa table like a proper math table set up but like 
my cups of water and my, you know, my things, my, my hoodoo spiritualist things. Don't let me have like a cup of black coffee and a cigarette. Water for the spirit and water for me. And just open that thing and then just read you down. That's my favorite. Like I'm a medium like that. I like the tobacco. I like the quiet. I like the, mm. Yes. I gotta use a tool of dice and playing cards. But I, you know, the older I get, the more I don't have patience for tools. The older I get, I think, you know, when I first started divining, I didn't trust myself as much, even though I've been, I have been reading my whole life. Um, I didn't trust myself to let spirit speak through me for real. So I would be like, I need a tool to confirm. Mm-hmm. Um, and the tools were good and I learned divination systems and that was important to me. But I fluctuate sometimes if I feel, if I ever feel like the tool is getting in the way, then I put it down. Mm-hmm. You know? That makes and total sense. To, and I've had to discipline myself in that way where sometimes it feels like we're flowing and the tools are helping me flow and so that's perfect. But if I ever feel like the tool is getting in my way, like I know what spirit sounds like and feels like in my body, and if I feel like that's getting distracted, I'm going to put it down and just talk to you. Mm-hmm. That happens to me in tarot readings and stuff. Um, <laughs> We're going to put down them cards and listen. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> oh, but that is so funny. But yeah, sometimes it is like that. I definitely get that. Um, so, like, yeah, I, I haven't really learned, um, the plan. I mean, I grew up, like, around, like, people playing cards and stuff and, like, spades and all that, but, um, definitely that's one of my, like, next ventures. I, I'm in, like, uh, um, for, uh, for me, I like tarot so much because it's, like, it's kind of like being an art historian and it's, like, you're, like, doing, like, a, it's kind of like you're, like, a museum tour guide but like doing a reading um i'm hella into all the i'm like in a symbolism like nerd um but yeah i think that is so cool and i think it is like it is kind of it is scary also to um i guess like to go to be like let me just see everything you know what i mean because i think part of like I guess part of, for me, I haven't really thought about this, but tarot is, like, a good, a good medium between me and the person, and it's, like, I don't connect so much with the, um, the stuff, because I just had, like, a reading today, and it was, like, somebody's peoples came up, but it was, like, I, I saw, like, the vision or whatever, but I chose not to, like, dive in, you know? Cause you can be like, ooh, and I and I knew it was gonna be like a lot, you know, cause it involved like someone like dying. So I was like, oh shit, well let's pull some cards, cause <laughs> I need to get out of this right now. Um, yes. So I mean, it takes a lot no, of power. Exactly What'd you say? Energetically taxing. No, that's one hundred percent it. Like it's definitely taxing work. Like such taxing work on the body and anybody that's a professional medium like I'm hard pressed to find one that doesn't say that it's taxing because you're right like as much as I I feel clearest when I read with no tools sometimes the playing cards are there to be an energetic sense between me and the client 
Yeah. Because if it's just me and your dead folks, I'm like, mm-mm, there needs to be something tangible here between you and I. Because, mm-mm. So you got to stay prayed up. You got to have your protections on. And that's the other part. Some of my clients will be like, I'm re- I think I'm ready to be a reader. I want to divine for folks. But they don't. It's a lot of protection work involved. So that when you open up that space and you channel their dead people for real, for real, you're not leaving with them on you. You're not uh, absorbing, binding. You're not, mm-mm. you know, you got to get in there and get out. <laughs> exactly. Because it is a, lot a kind of, of thing. people don't know how to get in and get out. And that's not good for your mental health. It's not good for your spiritual health. That is You got to so be a fuckboy for real to be, <laughs> this is terrible. But you got to be a fuckboy for real to be an efficient diviner. You got to get <laughs> real intimate and real up in somebody's gut real deep for about an hour. And then you got to be like, and that's our time. <laughs> Thank you, bye. <laughs> Ghost cleanse yourself and be like, on to the next, because yes, I just had to be like, like man, that's just how it is, boy, period. And then keep going. <laughs> you got to know everything. You got to get in that, get in them guts. You got to deep stroke niggas' spiritual life and then leave. And that, I mean, the sometimes, you know, and then they can go to the therapist or find a more, you know. Yeah, that, then that's where they're supposed to go to the therapist, baby, because sometimes, <laughs> so, and, and you have fuckboy problems. If you do them too good, they keep coming back, and they keep coming back looking like, why won't you fix this? And you'd be like, I wasn't here to fix it for you. I was here to show it to you. Mm-hmm. Not my problem. You're this the mirror. Yeah, like, I'm here to show you what you don't know. But they ain't never had nobody because I think there are so few healing modalities that are so real like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then I also think it's part of the I think it's part of the person that I am because when you receive a reading, it's like my physical body in this lifetime is a twenty six year old woman, right? And so there's a homegirl feeling, and mm-hmm. that's cool or whatever. But in terms of the work and in terms of the spirituality. People get really confused when I'm like, oh, no, baby, like, I care for you, and I'm going to give you my best hour, and I'm going to get in this, and you got some generational curses, and if there's a ritual work that you need laid, and that's what's in my wheelhouse, and I have the skill set to do it, I'll price quote you. Mm-hmm. But I'm not your therapist, and you need to go to therapy. For real. You feel me? Like, now, like, I'm not your therapist, and you need to go to therapy. And you need to find holistic, you know what I mean? If that's available to you. And if therapy is not available to you, then let's talk about getting you where you need to be so that it is. Hmm. That's my job as a conjure worker is to make sure that you're healthy and thriving to support you in that journey ritually. To support you in that journey, you know what I mean, with education. To support you with my with my eyes and my sight. It's not to be yo, yo, therapist. Period. And and you're not the guru either, so. Oh yeah, the guru, the the wise, meditative. Period, because that's like I mean. Also, I got a reading. Um, I told you about it before we were recording, but like I got a reading, and they checked me on my temper, because I mean, I they're like, you appear really sweet, but you also have a really bad temper, and you need to watch out. I actually got like a an Odu reading or whatever. And it was like, mm, uh, yeah. I had never gotten one before. But I was like, wow, you kind of read my life down in ways like, I was like, whoa, this, damn. Um, <laughs> it was a, a lot. A good reading always leaves you like that, right? A good one leaves you like scalp. Like, I was wow. like, oh my God, wow. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I mean, I think it is, um, it's important that people um, 
are aware of the um the precariousness sometimes of being more like a medium and stuff like that and you know just be careful because I do hear people you know I have always I've never really been one to be like I'm gonna summon this spirit but people be out here doing that stuff and it's it's really I don't I know, know that's- that's hilarious just stick with your ancestors even if you don't know their names like i always just go with the energy i mean you know i'm a tree girl also i'm a nature girl so you know the river for me is my ancestor i'm like what's up um so yeah also i think that's important too you know we have other trees are ancestors ancestors aren't the only thing there are cindy there are plant spirits like go outside you know (laughs) Yes. Um, okay. Well, let's see. Let, well, I guess one of the last things I want to talk about was WAP. <laughs> yes. What do you want to know about WAP, baby? I'm so happy that it exists. Um, I just, it's such a, nah, uh, not from the top, make it drop. That's some wet ass pussy. Now get a bucket <gasps> and a mop for that wet ass pussy. Like, just as a songwriter, objectively, that's a hook that I wish I wrote. Like, politics aside, that's a, that's a good song. Whoever wrote like, that, because we know Cardi, Cardi didn't Cardi write it. Cardi and Megan really, really gave the girls exactly what it is that the people need. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And when I heard it, I was like, I needed this. And at the same time that I was like, I needed this, I was like, not them telling all of our secrets. Like, they really were letting people know. I felt like they was talking about, like, my bedroom life. Like, I was like, not this, this, oh! this. And, like, all of the other good pussy girl. I'm going to be real. Like, good pussy is an energy. You know, good pussy is a mood. And, like, WAP was, like, a uniting of bitches who know how to fuck. You could tell who really know how to fuck based on their reaction to WAP. Because bitches who know how to fuck was like, oh, this is that shit. I'm about to super say in this nigga. You feel me? Ah! <laughs> like, bitches who know how to fuck was like, oh, I've been waiting for this. <laughs> this is when I'm putting on my makeup. Like, I'm about to... I remember when that came out being like, wow, I wish I knew somebody. I wish was- there's somebody <laughs> I can call. That video made me want to be friends with... Um, that video made me want to be friends with Suki Hana. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I was like... And I'm so happy that she was in the video because I was like, it's really like, is there somebody that's deserving of this coochie? Like, somebody who really is gonna... Like, wow, like that's a charge up for sure. Yeah. Well, I think one of the songs that you power up for sex magic, that's a power up. Girl, don't that's get the don't give up. these don't give the girls no ideas out here now. But Look, period, I think that also is that an interesting coochie. thing. Like I feel like sometimes cause you know there have been arguments. I do for me, I am here for pushing the boundaries you know i'm a pluto pluto and scorpio girl like i'm a middle of the road millennial um you're like mm-hmm. you're like a one year close to gen z um which y'all yeah, y'all are on some other deal. shit y'all are pluto sagittarius you're close to that y'all y'all are here to burn everything down which i'm here for um I'm we're here crying. to be kind of like i grew up in like the Scorpio, but you're right yeah i grew up I'm in so more close. like the emo age like being emo and sad was like very cool from I like remember that. 15 I remember, to 18 I remember, I remember 
like 15 to 18 like, it was, was like yeah it was like I i'm sad too black for emo yes! i remember being too black for emo because you needed straight hair and oh. my mom one time if she wouldn't let me go to a panic at the disco concert because oh. i was an emo i was the black kid who liked rock music like i played metallica but like i wasn't emo and dressed because i knew aesthetically it wasn't going to serve the girls so i just was like at the concerts as the char like Same. i never really went for the full aesthetic but I told my mom if she wouldn't let me go to the Panic at the Disco concert that I was going to become emo, like, aesthetically. And my mom said to me that if I did that, she was going to put a sign in our front yard, like, have a sign printed, like, a graduation sign that said, my daughter, Sitar, is an Oreo. Oh! oh, my God. And so I did not ever dress emo because my mom said that she would pretty much publicly clown. The, the straightened hair stuff, that was a lot. The straightened hair is serious, okay? Y'all were going hard on the straight hair. I that was a that. lot. I I, th- I had shorter hair. I mean, I was I wore black Converse's and skinny jeans in high school, which was back when I went to high school, that was like basically you went to school in a dress. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> but I was like, okay, and then 10 years later, all y'all niggas in Atlanta wearing the shit. But um, we're not going to talk I, about I know, that. right? But uh, what were we talking about? Emo and um, Pluto and Scorpio um, burning stuff down. Mm-hmm. What, what were we talking about originally? I'm like kind of like tips. Uh, what were we talking about? We were talking about Pluto and Scorpio burning things down. We were talking about WAP. Oh, WAP. Yeah, okay. So I'm here for the vulgarity stuff. I do feel like the video had a lot of like it was like some hypnotic stuff in it but that's like to visuals to like get you to watch the video and stuff like that but i Uh am here for like i think it's important that the taboo be brought out in society because i think it's like you know a lot of people are like oh my god the kids but it's like every it's like kids kids are exposed to pedophiles at school every day like y'all need to be better fucking parents you know what i mean like and not like I'm saying they people want to be parents and shield them or not. Like I, I don't, if I'm not willing to shield my kids from certain things or have certain conversations. I'm not ready to have a kid. Like you need to look at the world that you're bringing your kid in and really decide. And that's that thing about millennials and Gen Z because millennials are having less children. Yeah, we ain't having no kids. <laughs> as somebody who's on the border, like I'm a very interesting age because I have friends who are deeply Gen Z. And I have friends who are deeply millennial, right? And the one thing that I have in common is now all of these millennials who are old enough, who were old enough to have kids, never had enough money. You know what I mean? <laughs> and like, same thing was like, I cannot afford a child under capitalism. So the older millennials are in their like 30s, some are what, about to be 40. And then my friends who are Gen Z are just now graduating high school. So, you know, there's like early parents and late parents. Mm-hmm. Like, I thought... My millennial friends are late parents. Some of my Gen Z friends and millennial friends who have kids already have kids now because they were early parents. Are like, this is kind of for the birds, you know? Wow, and, yeah. And the ones who are younger than me are genuinely like, I don't know if I want to have children in this society because everything's on fire. And so I just think it's folks who are unwilling to admit that the world is on fire because of capitalism and patriarchy. Like, they're not really willing to look at objectively what's going on, that we have, like, a fascist dictator in office, and they want to argue about things that don't make any sense. 
like being mad that women are talking about their bodies or exactly. you know exactly like, they want to be so mad about this one rap song as the reason why they have this lingering anxiety and existential dread because what they their reaction to WAP I think is like white people's projection of the like they hate that shit and they think that it's WAP that's making them feel sick and nauseous in their body or they think it's niggas or they think it's gay folks whatever it is that they hate they're projecting the pressure that they feel under the systems that they're upholding which is crazy to me you know mm. like that thing you hate that's eating your ass is capitalism it's not the gays baby but then you won't call out old dude over there who's having sex with underage women's right like it's that <laughs> it's that right there that's gonna kill you it's not me minding my business and talking about how much I like fuck like that's never gonna that's, the, that's yeah. never gonna get upset you know like you is like that's never gonna cease I'm always be on period um first of all it's never gonna cease but second of all like like that's not what's ruining this world it's truly making this world a better place like exactly cause you go out in a better mood the place where all life comes from. Like, relax. Hey, Ibosha. Well, so I like, guess I my final... Like, better came from a WAP, WAP and not a DAP, okay? Right. I get, um... I'll, I think I'll be saying... I think I, I say it like, um... I'm speaking Spanish. I forget that. Because it is WAP. Or is it WAP? Well, I say... No, because it's a... Wop, wop, wop. So I'm wrong. It's wop, not wap. Oh, really? Because yeah, like, I'm talking wop, wop, wop. Because Cardi B is a Spanish speaker, so that would make sense, but... Yeah. Because, you know, baps is baps. Yeah. True. But ah, uh, and but the A in Spanish is ah. Uh, so in, in Spanish, it'll be like wop. Yeah. Anyway, you know, being by a bilingual, you know, I can't like distinguish between los dos. Um, anyway, <laughs> so my final question is like, what is up for you in the future? What is, what's going on with Satara? Satara. Ah, um, Satara <laughs> is just trying to. You laugh, but I know because that is how I feel. <laughs> Cause that question, bro. (laughs) Oh my god. Um, (laughs) I am doing a lot, and it's all really exciting. Um, I am speaking a ton, so look out for like some stuff around my music and talking a lot about some people have asked me to speak about some things. Um, I am really trying to finish this ebook, my playing card ebook, um, oh. for folks who are interested in learning playing cards. So that's really my focus. And then always trying to get more music and more visuals and more creative stuff out to you guys as well. I am always designing, um, but I'm going to really be reducing my availability in the new year, and I'm already booking out for December. So if you've been considering scheduling a reading with me, or after you listen to this, you're going to be like, I want a reading. Um, I'm currently booking for December and once that fills up, I'm not refreshing my January availability until like the new year. Um, 
but I'm designing still. I'm always doing ritual work for clients. I'm always writing and producing. And um, But honestly, the reason I screamed is because every quor- like every day in quarantine, I have to ask myself that question like all over. You know? Oh, shit, yeah. <laughs> every day I'm like, wait, what is up for Tatar? And sometimes I think something is in my plans. And then what I've had is a lot of my plans being uprooted. And so that was really the scream, too, is, like, I'm going to say something here, and then life is going to happen that's going to either push it up or delay it or add something new. And I feel like then people are going to go, remember on the podcast when you said you were going to do this? Where is that? Thing? Where where it at? Like, oh period. Yeah, where is it? And I'm going to be like, oh, God. like. And, you know, I'm a Capricorn, too, show. so... I mean, you know, after when we're going to be... I felt the energy of, like, what is next? <laughs> You know, I felt the energy of like we want a we want a deadline and a timeline, honey. Also, I just like, want you know I want to see I, I I'm here for you to do everything you do. You, you know want, what I mean? What do you want to be next for Tatara? What is it that you, if I could do anything? What would it be that you want to see most? Um, I would say anything one that's going to make you money. Period. Because black women deserve that's always to have. Happen. Don't worry about the money. You know? Money, oh, okay. That's I would say, um, I think you need to be, I think teaching, especially establishing yourself as, um, an, 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 an already, like, coronated, kind of, like, uh, crowned, like, um, initiate in hoodoo, like, I think it's, like, time to, this 2020, like, thinking about ways that hoodoo can be accessible for us in these, like, trying times, because it's, like, you know, we're kind of in spiritual warfare, so, um, yeah, keep, I think especially that, and then, um, stuff for, like, people on the, I don't like saying people on the margins, because in the spirit world, we're in the center, but, um, just even more stuff, um, centered around, like, people who have been historically marginalized, and ways that hoodoo and stuff can, um, be helpful, yeah. Yes, okay, so thank you for the feedback and the confirmation, because that has been, what you just described as what you would like to see is absolutely the macro around what my work has been focused on. I have been trying to put together the pieces of the micro so that I can give you guys deliverables and tangibles. And it is the pieces of the micro that are always moving around, but the macro vision has not changed. So I can guarantee you that whatever deliverable does come out will do that. You feel me? Yes. Whatever it is I put out is going to do that. Pull out. Um, Yes. Because that's, that's what I do, and that's what it is that I want to do, provide education for y'all, create dope creative things, um, and create spaces and communities and make it accessible for the people who need it. Who knows, and we might be on a song together one day. You know, I got me a little, I got five songs, so, you know, um, you know, I might be out here rapping, you know, a little bit. Um. <laughs> yes, let me know. Ah! Anyway, I'm just feeling the wine, the wine. I'm just feeling it. Let me find out. I have a song out. It's called Vibe Out. We about to vibe out. We about to show out. We about to get in that element, bring the green out. Got that strawberry cushion, got that afghan. Watch it, don't get too high. I might steal your man. Hey. I'm crying. Yes. You know me. Go off. 
I got another song called Smoke and Stroke. So, you know it. <laughs> Not Smoke and Stroke. Oh, oh my goodness. Oh! My ears. <laughs> my, my Christian ears. <laughs> my Christian ears. You know Smoke and Stroke put that SoundCloud mix on. Yes, I'm screaming. <laughs> That's such Put them in, indigo lights on, you know what I mean? That is, I'm screaming. Smoke and Stroke is a real energy. <laughs> and it like, was, when, wow. and the wind, when I made it, this is kind of like, I, I don't give it. I don't that's care who. That's the energy that I. That's the energy that I like. Think that people should be on during quarantine. Wow. It well, I made the song whenever I was seeing a kind of. It was a sh- kind of sugar daddy situation in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And it was, and was after. After. Shh, yeah, it was after I was. Um. Yeah, we. Yeah, it was. Um. Yeah, I won't give too many details on here, but no, your girl was in a skyscraper. So. Um. <laughs> so I was like, "Wow, is this what life is?" <laughs> you know, he, you yeah, know, the grocery, the groceries, exactly. the crying. groceries were being consumed. So I was like, "Wow." Anyway, um, yeah. So, um, rated R. Um. <laughs> so, anyway, right. <laughs> Thank you so much for um coming onto the show. This was Thank great. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. OMG, thank you so, so much for listening to the show. If you um, want to hear or learn about any other content related to this, be sure to join my Patreon. So that's Patreon, you know, dot com slash Millennial Soul Food, M-I-L-L-E-N-N-I-A-L-S-O-U-L-F-O-O-D. I hope I didn't spell that wrong. Um, there's a $3 tier where you get live stream what's the spiritual tea if you're trying to find out what the spiritual tea is on the pop black pop culture period you already know (laughs) you know y'all know i'll be having the tea period i'll be doing research all week to curate a list of of interesting and pertinent topics where i can give a more esoteric type of viewpoint into it so we got also the um bi-weekly tarot pools that comes with the three dollar tier we also got a 24-hour 24 hour, seven day a mother week chat community. Um, with the eight dollar tier, you're that's kind of like the middle road. We always love a middle road, you know, we love a little compromise or whatever. <laughs> uh, that is the exclusive access to Hoodoo Metaphysics content. And I actually just released um, a video that is on creating an altar space. And so, I don't know if y'all know, but there's a lot of different types of altars that you can create um, to influence and anchor the energy of a certain type of intention or working that you're that you're trying to do. So check that out whenever you subscribe. Um, also, there's a $13 tier, tier. This is the top tier. So um, $13 tier people, whenever I do start doing readings again, get the VIP discounts um, on tarot readings. Uh, you also get the What's the Spiritual Tea live stream, MSF After Dark live stream, VIP access to 
um, early access podcast episodes, new moon and full moon live streams. That's one thing that really distinguishes the 13 tier from the eight and the $3 tier, because I'm going to be doing a live stream just to answer questions on um, any types of workings or rituals that you might have have about uh, the new moon or full moon, all that kind of stuff. So also $13 tier is going to have patron only polling for future podcast topics, downloadable PDF worksheets. Um, comp- I'm going to also do some comprehensive reviews of my favorite spiritual and metaphysics books. And finally, $13 tier is going to get access to the Kitchen Witch series, which I don't know if y'all know, but I'd be in the kitchen cooking. I cook a lot and I, I'm a kitchen witch. I I definitely see cooking as a form of healing. Um, and I definitely put a lot of, um, I put a lot of good energy into my food. You can ask anyone that's eating my food. It will nourish you and it will also knock you out and you, you will rest my food will put you up in the zone for some revolutionary rest. <laughs> so if you haven't already, uh, if you're looking for more content like this, and if you'd like to just ask questions and kind of join more of an int- more intimate community, come on over to the Patreon and join the MSF squad. Also, like I said, if you are interested in making any donations to help sustain this temple, this beautiful temple, as I might add, <laughs> um, I have a Venmo, PayPal, and Cash App. And so my Venmo is at K-E-O-N-D-I-L-L-O-N. My email address is keondillon at gmail.com. That's K-E-O-N-D-I-L-L-O-N at gmail.com. And then um, what's my Cash App is dollar sign, capital E-L-D-R-A. Um, so I think those, that's all the announcements I wanted to make. I hope that you enjoyed the show. Please, please, please spread the word about the MSF podcast. And until next time, I am wishing you so many blessings. I'm speaking peace and prosperity over your life. If you're listening to this and I'm sending all of you so much love and take care of yourselves and get some rest you know get you some rest all right i love y'all bye